Please be seated. Last week, it looked like we were landing the plane on this God series, but right before we hit the runway, decided we need to pull up for a moment. There's at least one more lesson I feel like we need in this. It's sort of like, you know, the kid gets in the car with mom and dad after church and says, Dad, what does the preacher mean when he says, in conclusion? And the dad says, absolutely nothing, all right? So today we get to conclusion about our lesson. We, 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 we finished last Sunday on that incredible promise of Jesus. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. I love that promise. You know, I, I used it last week as if I'm talking about Daniel Nelson and somebody has left Montgomery. They come back and I run to, into him and they say, you know, is Daniel Nelson still going to Landmark? I go, yeah, he's still there. And they go, well, where, where does he live? And then I give their address out. That's, that's the seeking. But, but the intensity increases when they go, not only do I want to know if Daniel's here, I, I want to know his address, but I'm going to show up at his door, knocking on his door. And Jesus says, as we're going to seek God, It's a matter of asking and seeking and knocking. There's an intensity about it. In fact, listen to what Jerah, listen to what it says after Matthew said those words. He said, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He says, guys, the reason you ask and seek and knock is because God gives good gifts. He said, if you've got enough sense with all of your problems that you would give your children good gifts. Uh, Jesus says, there's no way you would wrap a snake up and put it under the Christmas tree. That's unless you're our snake handler, Tom Harbin, all right? I mean, he's the only one I know that would do that. He says a person wouldn't do that, and if we know that well, how much more will God give us good gifts who ask him? But it's an intense asking. Look at Jeremiah. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart, with all your heart. You see, our challenge today is we close this series on God is that we seek God intensely. That's something that bothers me about me, bothers me sometimes about us. It's not, nobody in here, I would think, would say, I'm anti-God. No one would say, I really don't want to be close to God. No one would say, you know, I, I don't want anything to do with this. But the question is not that. It's, it, the question is, am I passionate about it? As our brother said last week, am I on a a dead run for Jesus. You see, it's so easy for us even to come into a great assembly like this and just sort of check the box, you know. Just make it through the motions. You know, don't get too excited, you know. I've heard all my life say, be careful about these people, man. They might get too fired up for Jesus. Can I say this? Wouldn't you like to see that? I just never seen that. I would love for one of you to get so excited that we got to call you into the elders and say, would you please calm this person down? Guys, the truth is we have never had that person. And yet the Bible says we are to passionately seek God. Sometimes we get a little scared of people who get real passionate. If someone were to yell out, amen, I've watched you before, you're going to crook your neck around. And you're going to say, that must be a visitor. Right? 
Guys, what God is calling us to do is to passionately seek him. We've been having these prayer meetings as a church for the last two months. They've been awesome. Every other month on the first Wednesday night of the month, we're praying together. And it's been really good. But I think about when the early church got together and prayed. Acts chapter 4, they prayed so fervently, it shook the building they were in. And we're doing good, but I don't think we're there yet. I think if we understood what we're going to talk about today, there would be a fervency about seeking God, about praying to God. So this morning, why would we seek God intensely? Let me just give you a couple of lessons here. First of all, it's if we believe he's a great God, all right? If you really believe that God is God, we've been talking for weeks about him. If you believe Moses' description of God is being compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and faithful in his love. If you believe that, and then what's the next part of this? If you also have a great need, what, what does that lead to? That leads to seeking him intensely. Why? Because I really know who God is, and there's something in my life where I only God could fix this. Then I seek him intently. That's what was going on with Moses. God said, Moses, I want you to lead these people. Moses says, God, please, no. This is a stiff-necked, rebellious people. They hardly ever do what they're supposed to do. Please spare me. Then God says, no, I'm calling you. And, and Moses says, okay, God, I'll go if I can see you. And I'll go if you will go with me. And that's what Moses experiences. So when we believe in a great God, and if we see great needs, we seek him intensely. Now, here's what I want to get to today. How do we seek God intensely? First of all, it's, it's through prayer, okay? What is prayer? Prayer is conscience reliance on God. It's me facing life going, I can't do it by myself. I love the quotation we used last week by Albert Lemons. The most arrogant thing a man can do in the morning is to leave his house without what? Praying. Why? Because I know that I've got to rely on God. He's a powerful, great God who loves to give good gifts. You see, a prayer accomplishes great things. Scripture says the fervent, that's passionate, the fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes a lot. So first of all, if we're going to seek God, my friends, the the greatest way you do that in your life is through prayer. Because prayer is more than just saying, God, I want you to do this. Prayer is saying, God, I want to be in relationship with you. Prayer is both speaking and listening. It's about a relationship. Now, how do we intensify this? We fast, okay? Add that. We fast. Now, this is, a, this is a tough topic for us because fasting sounds really, really weird to us, doesn't it? Now, I like the Christian comedian who said, why in the world do they call it fast when it goes so slow? Anybody ever tried to fast? Remember how slow it went? Or like the, like the kid, you know, dad announces to the family, you know, dad's not going to be eating the next couple of days. He's going to be fasting. And, and the little girl said, dad, you'll die. And then he said, oh, no, no. Moses fasted. David fasted. Paul fasted. And the little girl says, and dad, they all died. Because we, we, we think this is some weird, almost cultic experience. Guys, 
there are more verses in your Bible about fasting than about baptism. It's expected Old and New Testament. Now, let me give you a definition so we get a handle on this. What is fasting? Fasting is intentionally giving up a normal activity for the sake of an intense spiritual activity. Now, in Scripture, almost every time, it's to do with food. Now, sometimes there's exceptions. Paul talks about married couples abstaining from intimate relationships in order to pray. So it could be more than just food. For some of us in today's world, to really seek God, we might need to give up media. Or or, or we might need to fast from this little device we hold in our hands, our phone, that dominates almost every moment of our existence. Or maybe some of us that are really introvert, extroverted, who love to be around people, maybe there might come a time we just need to even fast from people so that we can focus on God. But here's the cool thing about fasting is it intensifies our prayer life. You see, fasting needs prayer because without prayer, it's just a glorified diet, right? But prayer needs fasting because fasting helps get away the distractions that keep me from being fervent in prayer. Listen to a couple quotations from theologians. Andrew Murray, prayer needs fasting for its full and perfect development. Prayer's reaching out to the unseen. Got that? Reaching out to the unseen. Fasting is letting go of the seen. Daniel Thomas, fasting strengthens prayer. It intensifies prayer. It sharpens and gives focus to our prayers. So that's what we'll talk about this morning. How in the world does fasting intensify your prayer life? I'm not giving you great details this morning about how to fast or even why to fast. You can look all that up. But I want to talk about what I'm discovering right now is that fasting is a way of intensifying my prayer life. Now listen, fasting is not going on a hunger strike trying to get God's attention, okay? Uh, Fasting is not me waving my hands and saying, God, please notice, man, I'm going really, really hungry for you. And would you, would you, no, no. Prayer doesn't affect God's hearing. God hears all the time. Fasting affects our praying. And that's why it intensifies our prayer life. So let me give you some moments when you get intense about prayer and fasting. Number one, fasting is prompted by urgent needs. That's when I'm really driven to pray and fast is when I know I can't handle this on my own. Look at this passage from Psalm 35. Yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and humbled myself with fasting. You know, we understand this one. And if someone you loved all of a sudden gets deathly sick, I'm telling you, man, that, that drives us to our knees, Right? And if if you really love them, it might drive you just naturally to to give up some food so you can focus on talking to God. Well, look at another example. This is from 2 Chronicles, and here's what's going on. There's an incredible army surrounding God's people. Looks like they should be defeated. And they are frightened. Look what happens. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord 
that's prayer, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Man, they're in trouble. What do you do? You call a time of prayer and fasting. It's interesting that that fasting has almost been lost in our country. One of the greatest writers on fasting is a guy named Richard Foster who wrote this Celebration of Disciplines. And when he researched for, for that book, he found there had not been any book in America written on fasting between 19, 1864 and 1959. Listen to this. The only and last called national fast in America was by Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War. We were in bad enough shape that the president had to say, we better get on our knees and fast. And for instance today, let's say this craziness in Ukraine explodes and Russia starts using nuclear warheads. You think anybody's going to have to convince us to pray and fast? Oh, no. Now, another time we were called to pray and fast is when we're struggling with sin and we're struggling with temptation. When Jesus is taken to the wilderness and, and he's tempted Please understand this. Jesus was tempted. Jesus was tempted for 40 days. How does Jesus bear up under that temptation? Listen to the beginning of that story. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus had a supernatural feet, uh, a supernatural fast. And, and let me say this to you today. If you're struggling to overcome a sin issue in your life, one of the best things you could do is dedicate yourself to a period of fasting and prayer. And then remember when we studied Nehemiah? When Nehemiah finds out about the terrible shape the city of God is in Jerusalem, here's what it says, Nehemiah 1 verse 4, when I heard these things, he didn't get mad. He didn't get angry at the people for letting the city fall apart. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept for some days. I mourned. And fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Because our response to a city or a country being in trouble is to pray and fast. I don't know if I've received as much feedback from a comment I've made than the one I made a few weeks ago. And I said to you and I, it's time we all stop griping about Montgomery. Anybody remember that? And we, we, we need to stop griping. And I said there, we need to start praying. And I'll add to this today, guys, we need to stop griping, and we actually need to pray and fast. There's some big things happening in our city right now. We need to pray and fast about what God could do. That's what Nehemiah did. And then we go to the New Testament, Acts chapter 13. They're sending out missionaries. They're keeping the church on this mission of God. What do they do? They fast. Look, when they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. My friends, if we're serious about reaching a lost world, we all watch the news, read on our phone. We see, I hear so many of us say, man, things are just falling apart in our world. And they are. Our response, guys, is to pray and fast to intensely come before God and ask him to do what we can't do to change this situation. 
And this is, this is appropriate to us as a church right now. They're appointing elders. That's a big deal for a church. Look at Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committing them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. That's what excited me so much last week when our shepherd, Jeff Langham, came before us and said, we're putting these three names up before you to consider for shepherds, elders in this church. And he said, your shepherds have spent months, and they have, praying and fasting about this. Why? Because leaders, where the leadership goes is where the church goes. So guys, first of all, guys, prayer makes, fasting makes prayer more intense because it's done in the midst of great needs. Second, fasting drives me to dependence. Remember back in Psalm 35, it said, we humbled ourselves with fasting. Guys, hunger pains, when, when you fast, I mean, guys, it, it's not easy, okay? I got so tickled first service, my buddy Alan Shirley, who was doing communion before I preached, one of the comments he made was, I am so passionate about food. I thought, man, Alan, that's the wrong Sunday to say this, all right? But the truth is, guys, we are passionate about food. And the purpose of prayer and fasting is for me to get away from what I'm dependent on so that that hunger pain will drive me to God. It's a physical way for me to recognize how much I need God. We've all been talking a lot about this God-shaped hole in our hearts that only God can fill. And every once in a while in our lives, you feel it. Something's just not right. Something's off. Maybe you're all alone and you're miserable because you're by yourself. Maybe you just feel that something's out of kilter. Because here's what we're tempted to do in America. Just, we're so blessed. I just go eat. That's why we call it what kind of food? Comfort food. Because you know, when I'm not in a good place, I can go eat a little bit and I feel a little bit better. Some of us, we're not so tempted to eat. Is okay, man, I'm feeling a little bit, uh, I, I, I'm feeling this pain. I'm not recognizing it's my pain for God. So I just go fill my life with activity. If I can stay busy enough, or if I can stay in enough relationships, well, then I don't have to feel my need for God. Fasting humbles yourself to feel that, to feel dependent. Number three, fasting focuses our attention on God. It's intention. Listen closely to me. It's intention is for my attention to move from physical things to focus more clearly on God and spiritual things. It enhances my spiritual appetite. Now, if you get in the scriptures, there's all kinds of purposes of fasting. But guys, the number one paramount purpose of fasting is really simple. It's to seek God. It's to seek God and his guidance. Here's the cool thing about fasting to me. It removes our number one excuse for not spending time with God. Here's what I say. Here's what I hear in almost every life group. I know I need to read my Bible. I know I need to pray. I know I need to go to church more often. But I'm just way too what? Are you guys with me this morning? Can we try that again? I am just way too what? Somebody might even say amen in a moment. I'm just way too busy. Guys, that's what I love about this. When you declare fast, you don't have to worry about going out for lunch and finding something to eat. You don't have to prepare something. You don't have to clean up after it. 
You're able, I mean, if all you did was do these fasts we've been doing on Wednesdays, where you, you, you fast from food, breakfast, and lunch, if you just gave that hour, you're used to going to lunch, to fall on your face before God and seek him, it'd be well worth it. And that's what it's all about. Because it's not just about giving up food. That's the wrong focus. It's about seeking God. Then number four, fasting reveals what controls me. Paul said something really weird in one of his letters. He talks about people whose God is their bellies. When you fast, you make a strong statement that our bodies are not our masters. You see, in America today, we think whatever I feel, I got to act on. That's why we're in so much trouble, because we feel a lot of bad things. And fasting's a way to say, you know what? I'm not controlled by feelings. I'm controlled by God. And number five, fasting is empowered by belief in a good God. You say, buddy, why should I get this intense about this? I mean, this is a little scary to me. I'll, I'll give you the reason, because God is fantastic. That's it. And we just read earlier in our message today that God gives good gifts. And I, I love when, when Luke has that same teaching from Jesus. Luke actually tells us what the good gift is. He says the good gift is the Holy Spirit. As a father, mother, the best gift you can give your children is not what you put under the tree or what you buy them. The best gift you can give your children is yourself. And the greatest gift that God gives us when we seek him is him. Wouldn't you like to walk every day with God? Wouldn't you like to walk through your day never alone? Wouldn't you like to walk into every business or school appointment on a mission for God with God in you? That's what fasting does. So, if you've been with us over the last eight or nine weeks, we've been focusing on two verses, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. It's where, where Moses says, God, before I do this deal, I got to know who you are. And this is God's self-disclosure statement, where God says who I am. And you've heard me say this a thousand times. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 is the most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. Because it it tells us who God is. Now, here we go. The last time Exodus 34, 6, and 7 is mentioned in Scripture is by the prophet Joel. And here is a moment where the people have fallen away from God. And the prophet says, the day of the Lord is coming. And they're scared to death. And Joel's wanting to drive them and draw them back to God. Listen to what he says, Joel 2, 12 and 13. Even now declares the Lord, even now, as far off as you guys are, return to me with all your heart. How do you do that? With fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. And here we go. Here's Exodus 34. Why would you do that? For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love, and relents from sending calamity. What motivates me to fast? Man, I got some big-time mess going on in my life, but I got a bigger God. 
And my friends, let me tell you, what we're talking about this morning is powerful. Prayer and fasting is a powerful spiritual connection. Listen to a couple of verses before we close out here. This verse anyway. There's a passage in Mark chapter 9 where the disciples can't cast out a demon. They're frustrated and Jesus comes and they go, why in the world were we not successful? Here's what Jesus said. So Jesus said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. There's a great power when God's people fall before God in prayer and fasting. Even Jesus experienced it. You remember we talked about Jesus going and being tempted for 40 days? At the beginning of that, when he goes in the wilderness, here's what Scripture says. He was full of the Holy Spirit. But after that moment, those days of fasting and prayer, it says he returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to me, guys. Listen very closely to this. If you're a child of God, you got the Holy Spirit. But what prayer and fasting does is allows you to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we close out this morning, I've got to ask you a question. got to ask me a question. Back to the passage we started with. Are you seeking God with all of your heart? I'm not asking if you like coming to church or you're a member of this church or you're sitting on this pew right now. I'm asking you and I'm asking me, are you intensely, passionately seeking God? You see, Satan's okay with you fooling with this thing, but he's not okay when we seek God's face and we experience God's power. So I'm asking you, are you seeking God with all your heart? Let me ask this. Maybe this will help get it in perspective. It's a tough question for many of us. Is there something in your life that you're more passionate about than you're passionate about God? I get fired up about a lot of things that don't count. But what I need to be most fired up about, above everything else, most passionate about, is God. And so this morning, we're about to intensely seek God. We're going to ask and we're going to seek and we're going to knock. And here's the great promise that's found in that scripture. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Listen to me, my friends. If you want God, it's not hit or miss. If you want God to be first in your life, and if you'll seek him, it might be like, sorry, I know you saw me, but you didn't find me. He promises if you will seek him, you will find him. So this morning, we're going to open this front row up. And if there is a great need in your life, and you believe this church talking to our great God could make a difference, or today's the day you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. If you have that great need, we all do. And the greatest need, the greatest need in your life and my life is God. If you've got that great need, and you want to pray to our great God before you walk out of here, meet me on this front row right now while we stand and sing.